Do you want to know why a high school football coach in Connecticut is demanding all of his players get on social media when everybody else is telling them to get off of it? Do you want to know the secret for how to build a great football culture and establish your standard as a new leader? Or maybe you want to know what fuels the hidden fire and passion of one of the Northeast's newest and most dynamic high school football coaches. Lastly, maybe you just want to know how to get college football opportunities for some of your high school players. Coach Thierry is the head football coach for Connecticut's largest public high school, Danbury High School in Danbury, Connecticut. And this is his story. Enjoy. P.S. If you loved this episode, or if you hated it, please drop us a line on iTunes. We'll be starting our five-star review giveaways in the next few episodes. Thanks. All right, cool. So what is your origin story, Coach? How did you end up at Danbury High School in Connecticut? Um, well, I was down, I actually started my career at Kennedy Catholic in Somers. Um, I was there for about seven years. And then I uh, ventured down to Kennedy in the Bronx, uh, where I was also uh, at for seven years. Um, started out as an offensive coordinator and then eventually became the head coach the last two years I was there. Um, but, you know, I had lived previously in New York, um, moved up to Connecticut. Um, in Brookfield, very close to Danbury. So I was actually commuting to the Bronx the last couple of years there. It was, it was really taxing and uh, it was a lot for me to do. So, um, you know, ever since I moved up here, I was always looking to eventually um, venture up this way. And when the Danbury position opened up, it was just a perfect situation. And uh, I was blessed enough to get the opportunity to, to lead that program. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. So. What makes Danbury such a great fit for you as a coach? Because obviously you're coming in there as a new head coach. Um, I guess maybe a better question is, what was that process like of coming in and establishing your culture, being being the new guy in school? Um, you know, it's always a challenge early on. But I, I will say, you know, this group of kids, especially – you know, early on, you could tell right away those kids were so um, excited, kind of chomping at the bit to have the opportunity to for a new start, uh, to prove themselves, to work hard. It wasn't like I had to really shake things up dramatically to get the kids to want to put in the effort and do what was necessary to be successful. They wanted to. Um, it was just a matter of, you know, kind of laying the law down day one, making it known, all right, this is this is what we expect. This is the new expectation. This is what we need to be successful. If you buy in and you believe in what we're doing, great things are going to happen for you. And uh, and they did that. What is the, uh, what's the single greatest, like, core tenet of your culture? Like, if there's only one thing that the kids would take away from their time playing for you, what would you like that to be? Uh, well, we talk a lot about the Hatter way, you know, our, our method, our way of, of going about things. And it's really all predicated on just hard work. Um, we, you know, we're always looking to gain an edge. And, and it's not just a football philosophy. It's really just in every aspect of life. Um, be a competitor. You know, uh, we kind of live in a society that's really kind of growing up. It was, you know, everybody gets a trophy. But really, we know the real world doesn't operate that way. So. Um, we pre we preach competitiveness. We preach uh, hard work, dedication. Um, that's really the mantra of our of our culture and, and what we 
try to promote as a program. I think our coaches do a great job of setting the example and our kids follow. And um, that's the one thing absolutely I want my kids to take away with, uh, from this whole experience is just the dedication and the work ethic necessary to be successful and to compete in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, definitely you're right. Like I grew up in the 90s and it was like, I remember getting a trophy on my soccer team. We were awful. I think we won like one game. And I was like, I asked my mom, I was like, why did I get a trophy? Like we were terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now you, you said hard work is like one of your core tenets. Could you talk about where that value for you came from growing up? Um, have I talked to my team about it, you're saying? No, just for you personally, like where does that value of like hard work and always competing like where how did you first kind of, where did that develop from growing up that's a great that's a great question I, I mean honestly i think it's it's really you know something like that is is a core value um that's instilled upon you as as, as a young man and i think it really truthfully if i had to pinpoint it um you know i grew up in a single parent home my mother worked two jobs um to help support me and my brother and you know, I, I learned it from her. I, I really saw the way that my, the, the, the work that my mother put in uh, to try to provide for her family under the circumstances. Um, I always admired her for that, uh, the selflessness and the, and the hard work and dedication uh, to help others. And, um, you know, I think that kind of set a foundation for me moving forward. And I just always felt in my life through experience that um, talent wasn't going to be enough. And, you, you, you know, talent combined with work ethic um, you know, the harder you work and at the very least, you know, growing up, I felt like if I worked to my maximum capacity and beyond, no matter what the result was, I was always going to be satisfied to be able to look myself in the mirror and have a sense of pride in what I was doing. You know, I was never going to be able to blame myself, um, for what I achieved or didn't achieve because I was willing to put in the work. Um, and I think that's in life, that's all you could really ask for. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, I think everybody has like a sports blueprint that their parents or their coaches or teammates helped them develop growing up for, you know, for when I think back to when I played football or, um, you know, I think of most of my biggest learning experiences or my most transformative experiences were definitely more on the football field than probably in the classroom. But I'm curious for you, like when you played football in high school or when you were coaching what was the most transformative experience that you had? Like the moment where you said like, this is, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. I guess, why did you get into coaching? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I felt, you know, as far as, you know, my personal football career, I felt like I had tremendous potential. Um, you know, but ultimately, I, I, you know, my career didn't, didn't end up the way I had hoped. Uh, I went to junior college. I played a couple of years there and that was really the end of my uh, college career. And then I went on to play some semi-pro football, but, you know, I was, I felt there was, there was kind of this empty feeling of, you know, I set the goal really high for what I can be as a football player and what I can achieve. And I felt like there were things along the way that if maybe this had been done differently or, you know, just certain things in my life that had gone a little differently or I had different sports around me, um, the trajectory of my life could have been much different. And, you know, there was a point early on 
I would say I had to be about 21 years old, 22 when I first got into coaching. And, um, you know, I was at a real low point, to be honest with you, uh, personally. Um, I was very kind of depressed with my situation. And um, I genuinely didn't know what the next step was for me in my life. I was very unsatisfied with what I was doing. And um, I made a conscious decision to just drive, like, totally impulsive uh, just drive to my alma mater drive to kennedy catholic and literally just show up on the scene and um speak to the head coach at the time who had been my baseball coach he was an assistant football coach when i was there uh tom Poval. and um i went and spoke to him i had a great relationship with him uh from my playing days and um just spoke to him about wanting to coach and i didn't care what capacity it was i would volunteer you know whatever i carry the, the footballs, hand out towels. I didn't care what it was. I just wanted to be a part of it. And um, literally, you know, he took me in right away, um, ended up being the offensive coordinator on the, uh, the JV team um, and hit the ground running. And, 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 and I've literally been coaching ever since that moment. Uh, so that was a major, major turning point in my personal life. Uh, it gave me um, changed my the whole trajectory of my life, my future, gave me something to work towards, something to be excited about. And it kind of shaped ultimately, you know, who I would become as a man. And I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. I felt like when I was in it, you know, this is somehow, some way, whatever, whatever route it took for me to get to this place, this is where God ultimately wanted me to be. And this was my mission. And this is what I needed to do. And once I accepted that, and once I realized that that was the case, um, we talk about hard work. I mean, I just gave this every single ounce of what I had. And I've been blessed to have some great coaches, some great mentors, some great people in my life along the way who have helped guide me and develop me um, and help shape me ultimately into what I am as a coach. What was it about your old high school coach that drew you back to the, to, to, to the school? Obviously, there is um, obviously you had a good relationship with him, but what I'm curious is like, what, what was it about your old coach maybe as a mentor that like drew you back to that place? You know, um, it was Tom Poval and Rob Schwartz and, uh, both those guys were, when I, when I was a student there, when I was a player, you know, they were guys that I looked up to that were mentors to me that were good people. And, um, I just felt very comfortable coming back and speaking to them about coaching there. I felt like, you know, they would embrace me and, um, you know, give me an opportunity and they did. Um, but I was very comfortable. I mean, we, it was a unique situation with, 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 with coach Polval. Um, you know, we had become really close uh, in baseball season. We actually lost a member of our team in the middle of the season, uh, tragically. And, uh, we, we got really close as a unit and, um, you know, it, it was just kind of beyond just the coach-player relationship. We were really, truly a family. And uh, so going back and speaking to him under those circumstances, you know, he, he was just looking to help me out any way he could. And he certainly saw the potential in me uh, as a player. And I think the kind of the attitude that I brought and the energy I brought, you know, that was something he wanted to, uh, as a part of his staff. So, you know, it really worked out well. Gotcha it seems like mentorship is a pretty big trend for you. Um, whether it was a coach mentoring you or you instilling that at Danbury high school where you're, you're establishing the culture and developing the program there now. 
how do you, obviously there's the X's and O's side of things. There's the physical training side of things, uh, which I think a lot of people think that is what a lot of coaching is. It's you foaming at the mouth with a whiteboard during halftime, inspiring everybody and all that stuff. Um, but really a lot, like most of coaching is like an iceberg. You don't really see it. It's like those moments in the hallways. How do you see yourself and your coaching staff acting as mentors or developing as mentors for the kids that you coach and the families that you work with? No, that's, I mean, the iceberg analogy is it. Um, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. And, and truthfully, that's, it's the most exhausting part of the, of the profession, the part that nobody sees, but it's also the most rewarding. And, you know, if you got into this job, if you got into this profession for any other reason than to connect with these kids and to mentor them and to build relationships with them, then, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Um, to me, that's everything. And that's something that happened organically. That's something that was genuine and authentic from day one. Um, I, I, I loved working with the kids. I loved building relationships with them, dating back from when I first started. I mean, some of the guys that I coached, I, I know one of them uh, I, I've connected with recently, Joe Candarelli, he's over at John Jay. Uh, one of the first players I ever coached at Kennedy Catholic who, who is now coaching. And, you know, um, it's just awesome to see those things. And, um, you know, watching them develop as men and, you know, being involved in the everyday grind with them, them knowing that you're there for them in every aspect of their life, not just football wise, but academically, uh, personal life, the things that some of these kids have to go through. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's just, that's, that's the job. That's the job. The X's and O's, look, I always joke around. I say, we got to be good at what we do so we can keep doing it. But otherwise, the mission, you know, the essence of what this is all about is that is what's underneath the iceberg, is what's beneath the surface. Um, building the foundation with these kids, building the relationships, lasting relationships, um, and helping them, because we know the vast majority of these kids aren't going to go on to play college football. They're not. Um, but they're going to go on to be successful young men in this world. And how could we help assist their parents, assist their families in building that foundation for them? And uh, that, to me, is, is the most rewarding, most important, most exciting part of the job you know it's the one it's the part that i that i look forward to the most yeah nobody nobody coaches high school football in connecticut for the paycheck maybe in texas it's a little bit different but <laughs> <laughs> no not at all. definitely up this way it's a little different Let, let's kind of talk about parents for a little bit and i mean I'm, I'm a teacher as well you're a teacher and we you know most parents, I, I mean, obviously it's always like the outliers and there's some crazy parent that goes viral on Twitter and everybody suddenly thinks that parents are evil and all this stuff. But I think parents have a, a tough job. They are trying to give their kids space in high school to be their own person while at the same time understanding that, hey, my kid may look like an adult, but he's not quite there yet. So how do I strike that balance? For, for you as a, a coach with a lot of experience dealing with parents and kids and their development, what would be one or two pieces of advice you could give to parents maybe that are listening to the podcast as to how they could best support their kid while giving them space in sports? 
That's a great question. Um, it's so important. I, I really, I tell you, I've had good experiences. I've had bad experiences like we all have. But the truth is, over the years, it, it, in having a child now of my own, you know, you see it differently. And, you know, there's nothing more important in our lives than our children. That's our reason for living. Once you have a child, and nothing else matters besides that child. And once you understand that, you understand the mentality of the parent, you know, just like you with your own children, you know, you change your approach towards the parents. And the main thing is really, I felt like you have to make the parents understand and believe and trust that you're there for their kids and that you care about their kids. And once, and even me as a parent, once I know my, my, my daughter's teacher or my daughter's coach genuinely cares about my kid and is going to work hard to help develop them, then that's when you back off and you say, okay, I trust this person. I trust this person's intentions. I trust this person's ability. And I have to allow that process to take its course and support as much as I can from a distance or at home, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, as much as we as parents are, try to be all knowing and we try to be so involved and micromanage and, and, and work with our kids to develop them. There are things and I, and I feel this way as a head coach, there are things that I'm, I feel like I'm the expert in and there are things that I'm not, that I'm not as knowledgeable. And I delegate that, those responsibilities to people that I feel like are extremely knowledgeable and professional in what they do and those aspects of what needs to get it done. So as a parent, it should be the same way. You're the head coach of your child's life and future. But you have coordinators, you have assistants, you have other people who are a part of that journey who are going to specialize in certain things to help develop your child. Just like I have that to develop my program. And I feel like if parents look at it that way, and once you build that trust and that relationship with the coach, then there's, there's, that's when things take off. And I felt like, you know, just to use one example, you know, Chad Joyner, I have a tremendous relationship with his family. And very early on in the process, they, they looked at me and said, Coach, we believe in you and what you're doing for our son. Um, we appreciate you. And whatever you need from us, we're going to do to help to help support you. And you look at the result, you know. And, and that's, that's the dynamic that you're trying to create. And I think that, you know, as coaches, sometimes we expect that the parents are just going to say, submit to us or say, hey, look, you know, you got our son good luck, you coach, you know, anything you need, let us know. Some parents are like that, which is awesome. Uh, but, but most parents, you know, the, you, there's a, we live in a society now, even with the kids, where you got to prove yourself. Everything is, there's a, there's, there's the question why is right behind everything you do. And once you earn that trust and you prove that you have the ability and the knowledge and the, and the work ethic to make it happen, you know, the parents usually buy in, the kids buy in, and then everything goes, you know, right ends up really really positive yeah i think and that's like that's a refreshing take on kind of parenting because that's you know i mean we've we've been in teacher work rooms where it's like oh parents this parents that you know and the, you know you just the reality is a lot more complicated than that um yeah i get more pissed brandon brandon when when i have a parent who doesn't get involved that's yeah. when i get upset when i have a parent who doesn't care or isn't invested or isn't involved or isn't supporting that, then that, that's that's more 
disgraceful and, and, and aggravating than the parent who's too involved. I, I'd rather deal with that than the parent who's, not, who's absent. Yeah, because you can work with a parent who wants the best for their kid. It's hard to, it's hard to change indifference, which unfortunately does happen to some kids. Right. Now, when you, you know, obviously when you are, when you're managing a team and you're managing culture, and I think this is one of those questions that's like, uh, you know, a timeless argument for any coach or manager of a team. How do you go about balancing making sure all of your standards are upheld equally among all your players while at the same time understanding that you have a hundred individuals who need to be coached in different ways? Um, another great question. That, that's, that's the toughest part of the job. That's the toughest part of the job because, you know, in every program you have, you kind of have those 10 to 12 elite, you know, top-notch players who do everything you ask them to do, who are some of your more talented kids, um, who are your leaders, who really represent what it is you're trying to establish culturally. And you tend to spend and invest more time with those guys uh, because they put themselves in that position with you. Um, I love uh, Coach Hines has a video that he put out about favorites. Um, I, I, I strongly suggest everybody take a look at that. And you know, he says, um, you know, it, be my favorite. Do what you need to do to be that person. And, um, you know, it, that, that's just kind of a natural thing. But I'll tell you, the hundredth kid in our program is no less important than my team captain. So trying to balance that out and allocate your energy towards everyone on the team, especially a football team as, as large as the roster is, is tough. But I, but I have guys – I mean, I can really tell you, especially this offseason, I have guys that, that barely saw the field last year that represent our culture as well, if not better than most. And one thing uh, uh, that we really prioritize is putting some of those guys, even though they don't play as much, in leadership roles. Because despite the fact you know, that they may not be the most talented kids on the team, um, they represent as people everything that we're trying to build culturally as a program. And I know for a fact that those kids, their, their experience, what they're going to take away from this, um, they're going to go on to be successful in the world. You know, whether or not they go on to ever play another down of football, they're going to take the, 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 the lessons that they've learned through this process, and they're going to go on to be very successful, and they're going to be leaders in society. And I love those kids. And, and, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as just putting your arm around that kid. You know, the one who played three downs the year before um, and just telling them how much you appreciate him mm. and, you know, how much you recognize what they're doing, um, whether or not, you know, it's necessarily translating into playing time. You know, they're helping the team get better. You know, we, we, we had an incentive for our scout. We had a scout team player of the week every week and, we, and they wore the black jersey. That was that was a you know, kind of signify their efforts and their selflessness to help the team get better. So we try to, our best to recognize everybody on the team as much as possible. And I think we underestimate how, how meaningful a compliment or something like that is to a kid. Because really all, you know, really anybody, but especially high school kids, they want to be known, they want to be noticed. Um, 
and you might be the only positive adult interaction that kid had all day or even all week. And I think it was like Mark Twain who said like, I, I could live for months on a good compliment, you know, like something that we would see is like really insignificant. Like, Hey, how you doing, man? Could mean the world to a kid. Absolutely. Now, obviously times have changed a little bit when, you know, from the nineties and eighties and, early 2000s. I mean, there was social media in the early 2000s, but, you know, it wasn't in your pocket. I'm curious, how do you, I guess, how, how have you seen social media be a, or I guess, how, how do you coach your guys around things like social media? So the funny part of it all is I, I genuinely dislike social media I, I I never I never had my space I never I still to this day don't have Facebook um, but I but I, I see its value and especially I mean you have to evolve and social media has, has really is really at the core of everything we do in society in American society and from a recruiting standpoint you know and, and trying to get our kids noticed and get them out there you know, it's, it's become one of the greatest tools and vehicles that we have to facilitate that. So knowing that once I became a head coach, um, I really became active on Twitter. I saw its value. I understood how to make operate it and interact with the coaches. And, and I've really been able to build a network from there. Um, but we, you know, we try to first, the first thing I did, one of the first things I did culturally with the team is get all the kids on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so virtually every single player on our roster has a Twitter account. So, so you're, so you're telling everybody in an age when everybody else is saying, get off Twitter, you're telling all your guys to get on it. I'm telling them to get on it and I'm telling them how to get on it. So, you know, I, I talk about how Twitter essentially is your storefront. It's how you're promoting yourself, how you're promoting your, your, your individual brand. If, if you want to say it that way. So represent yourself as such. If you're going to be liking and you're going to be involved with, with stupidity on social media, then that's how you're representing yourself to the world. And I feel like that is a valuable lesson that they need to learn now. They need to learn that early on because that's something that's going to be a part of their life forever. And it's a, it's a big part of everybody's life. And I've seen people self-sabotage themselves, um, really kind of ruin the trajectory of their life because they couldn't handle social media the right way. So whether they realize it or not, they're getting a clinic on how to operate in, in, a, in, the, in a world where social media is very prevalent and very much at the epicenter of it all. Um, and not you know, using it as a positive force in their lives. And it kind of helps their growth and their maturity. Um, it's a way to communicate with them on a regular basis, uh, to share information with them. You know, the fact that I can... You know, half my kids don't know who Bo Jackson is, but I can instantaneously share a video of him with them and educate them on something. So, you know, learning the, the, the power of social media and how to use it in a positive way, I think has been one of the biggest challenges as a coach. Um, but once you can hone that in, once you can reel that in, then it becomes a very powerful, uh, positive tool. Yeah, and I think it's uh, one of the kids I used to, or I, one of the kids I train his dad, uh, works in the athletic department at Yale and 
every year he's the guy in charge of like social media governance. And he would always say like, you know, unless you want it on the cover of New York times, don't post it. But I think what's different for a lot, you know, we can, you know, as we get older, we can kind of turn into our parents sometimes and say, Oh, these kids, that these kids, this, but you know, really like when you and I were growing up, we had the benefit of making dumb mistakes, saying dumb things, doing dumb things. And nobody had an HD camera and six microphones who could post it to 4 million people right next to us. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, it's unfortunate, but it is the reality that, and I would be interested to see what you think on this, but, you know, kids don't have the benefit of saying, doing, thinking, saying, or, you know, saying something or making a mistake that nobody's ever going to hear about anymore. Right. Don't, you know, look, the, the, the trade-off, right? We also wish we had this at our disposal because we would have gotten more exposure. We've been able to interact with more coaches. I would have been able to put my film out on, on, on the internet, you know, back when we were cutting VHS tapes and making DVDs. So, yep. you know, it, that's the trade-off. And, and, and I definitely think the positive outweighs the negative. But when you look at the negative part of it, that's also part of these kids' learning process because that's this is a major part of their life they need to learn how to navigate that properly and they need to learn it in high school because it's again it's something that's going to it's going to follow them throughout the course of their life they need to learn how to have positive interactions on social media to protect their privacy to make sure that they're not putting all the stupidity out there on snapchat and everything else that they have available to them that's something they got to learn real early on in, in this day and age um, you know, for us, maybe there were different pitfalls and things that we needed to avoid, you know, for these guys, it, that's, that's a number one, um, it, yeah. is understanding yeah. that real, real early in the process. Um, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, look, I, I think too, we live in a society that is really, really, um, scrutinizes people's behavior, their words, you know, very politically correct society and you know you got to be careful about everything that comes out of your mouth and what you post and what you like right you know and that's that to me that's more stressful for for the for the young for the young man young young lady in today's society than anything else mm-hmm. um that maybe perhaps you want to express yourself in a certain way but people are ready to attack you for that um sure. that's a that's part of a bigger issue but you know, as far as the regular day-to-day maintenance of social media and how and how to operate, you know, that's that's uh, you know, that's something we try to coach our kids on for sure. Yeah, and I I would say your your program is exceptionally good at that, and yeah, it's there's a good quote that goes like uh, the medium is the message. So you might have somebody attacking you on Twitter for your coaching or something or criticizing me or whatever. But in all honesty, you can't have a transformative, meaningful conversation with another human being at 140 characters. Like Twitter, Twitter can only go so far. Um, it, you know, it's funny, like I've, I've seen how just basic customs and like social norms around like cell phones and technology and filming people has changed. Like I have to tell kids that I teach Hey, don't, don't film that person. If, if they don't know you're filming them, like what's going through your head. Oh, it's just going on a private Snapchat story. They'll never see it. Whereas like 10 years ago, 
you know, 15 years ago growing up, if I brought my cell phone out on the dinner table, like my mom would slap it out of my hand. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a totally different world we're living in. And, and, and it's, it's, it's the, you know, the other thing is it's like, it changes people's value. I mean, now it's like, you know, people want attention and they'll do anything, you know, the attention seeking behavior via social media is one of the biggest things going. So it's like, yep. you know, what kind of attention are you trying to garner and what kind of attention lasts, you know, is it, is it the flesh in a pan video that goes viral and then nobody even remembers posted it? Or is it something positive that you're doing in your life and you're making difference and then you're a fixture on social media, you're, you're, the attention you're getting is positive attention and it's continuous. You know? right. so, so being able to decipher the two and to understand that it's, again, it's just a whole part of the process. I mean, it's, it's almost like they should have, <laughs> they should teach a class and I'll be honest, I, you know, one person, if, if there's an, you know, you talk about some of the guys that, that are doing this the right way, uh, Danny Landberg down in E hall. Um, you know, I, I just think he, he's extremely innovative in what he does in recruitment. I've learned what, a lot from him. Was that? Uh, Erasmus Hall down in Brooklyn in the okay. PSAL. Yeah, one of the, the most prominent programs in the country. If you haven't heard of them, you'll hear a lot about them over the next few years. But um, Danny Lamberg, I think, does a tremendous job. And he actually has a course down there that his kids take. It's an elective on some of what we're talking about. Just, you know, the recruiting pro educates them on the recruiting process, how to handle social media. It's literally a, a, an elective on preparing kids to be college athletes. Um, and I almost feel like that's something that as we move forward um, would be a great thing to have in the schools um, to help prepare our student athletes for, for a lot of the things we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, we definitely talk all day on that, but I think it's, you know, like it's, it's a way that kids can tell a better story about themselves to themselves. And um, there's, yeah, it's like you, you could look at it a couple ways, like, oh, social media has changed everybody. But the other way to look at it at, as is, you know, Twitter is just the amplifier. It just it's going to make you more or less of what you already were. Um, but like you said, that kind of amplifies the good and can also like really amplify the bad if you're not careful. Um, right. Let's kind of talk quickly about your approach to recruiting. One of the questions that I see a lot of high school coaches struggle with is how do I create opportunities for my players who want to play at the next level? Like nationally, we know only, I think, what is it like 7% of high school kids are going to play college football, but for a program that has a hundred kids in it, that's, you know, that's a significant number every year. What, what is your philosophy of developing opportunities for your players at the next level with recruiting? Um, so there's, there's so many layers to it. And I, and I feel like the first, the first and most important layer is the foundation. And that's the cultural piece. That's um, how you establish your, pro, your program as a whole. Um, if you're going to develop college ready athletes and you want your players to be recruited, then you have to follow a college model as much as you possibly can, given the resources you have and, and everything else um, at the high school level. So you should be training in your, your athletes the way that the colleges are. 
Um, obviously, again, adapting to the resources you have versus what they have. Um, you know, you, you should be operating and mirroring a lot of what the colleges are doing um, so that when the kids graduate, they can assimilate into that, into that culture, into that atmosphere. They already know what the work ethic is. They already know what the lifts are. They already know the technique. And they're able to hit the ground running and be adaptable and be a commodity to those programs. That's number one. You have to have a product. Um, otherwise, no matter how hard you work at it and how much networking you try to do, you know, they're, they're, they're not buying. Um, so that's important is, is building a mentality in your student athletes where they're going to be great locker room guys. They're going to be hard workers and they're going to assimilate and they're going to be useful at the next level. That's number one. That's the most important thing. Then it's okay. So you have the product, you have an athlete who has tremendous tape, um, great ability, your ability to be able to showcase that, to be able to put a good film together, um, you know, really stacking the best plays at the beginning. Because imagine how many, especially in social media, what we're talking about here, college coaches, they're one click away from watching you and also watching about 5,000 other kids. Yeah. <laughs> so within the first 20 seconds of your tape, you better be doing something dynamic that makes them want to continue to watch yours over the other 5,000 kids that, are, that they're waiting to watch. So understanding that part of it um, and then really beating, you know, just beating the streets and really getting out there and then doing the legwork necessary to make sure that your kids are being showcased in front of as many coaches as possible. And that's where the, that's where Twitter comes in is the way that you construct these tweets, the way that you tag these coaches, the way you inbox and DM them and follow them. And, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to build that network with the coaches um, that you can be able to put, put the film in front of them and they're going to take the time to watch it. Um, and then building that network and that relationship with the college coaches. That's the last layer of it is, is, is the trust. You know, it's tough. It's a fine line. It's a, it's a tough balance between you love your players and you want to advocate for them as much as you possibly can, but you have to be a hundred percent honest and real with the college coaches. Right. So, you know, I really want this kid to get recruited. I really want him to live out his dream and play for this team. But if he's not the right fit, if there's certain marks against his character or work ethic, or there's going to be issues, I can't, you know, you, you, you've got to balance that line. You've got to, you've got to make sure that that, that, that meshes up because, um, you know, they, if a, plain and simple, if a college coach can't trust you, if they, if they can't invest in your player or your, your, your player goes there and has a bad experience, you know, it's going to be very difficult to continue to get your kids recruited. And I tell my kids that, uh, you know, look, you want to play college football, great, but understand what you represent when you get there. Don't, don't, don't you dare well, let this program down, shame this program, or make it difficult for your, for your friends, for your, your younger colleagues who are going to try to come up and do what you're doing. Right. So that's, that's the, I mean, it, you know, we could talk for days about the recruiting process and what it entails. And I'm sure the things that I'm leaving out, but you know, to me, that's, that's from, from, from top to bottom, all those things have to come together. And, 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 and we're not even talking about the peripheral things like getting in your car and driving these kids to showcases to, um, 
right. spring games, you know, you name it. Okay. Um, college visits, you know, there, there's a lot to it. There's a lot, lot to it. And, um, right. You know, you got to have a passion. You got to have a passion for that part of, of the job. Uh, you got to be willing to, to allocate the time and energy to it. Uh, it's a relentless process. Um, you know, and that, and, and, and it helps obviously to have parents involved and committed to what you're doing. And, uh, and obviously the kid, you know, you yeah. can't tell me you want to play college ball and you're not willing to put in all the work that's necessary to be successful at it. Right. A lot of kids end up want it, you know, it's like, do you want the hype? Do you want to just post a cool graphic or do you actually want to play? Because whether it's Juco D3 or, you know, an FBS school, it's a, it's a part-time job. And I think what you kind of spoke about was another coaching, you know, like a timeless coaching argument. Who is your allegiance to, is it to your players or is it to the college football coaches job security? Because you have the history with the players, but you have the college pipeline with the coach. And I think that it takes a lot of balance and explaining and being upfront to both sides. Like, Hey, even if I have your dream school on the phone, and even though I've coached you for four years, if you're going to cost that coach's job or if it's not going to be a good fit for you, I'm not going to recommend you. That's a tough conversation to have, but I think you'll get the respect of the kid in the long run because you were so upfront. That's the thing is if you're real with the kid from day one, it becomes easier. And one thing I am with my kids is, is brutally honest. You know, I, 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 I don't think I'm doing them a service and I don't think I'm really caring for them if I'm hyping them up. And I think that's one of the things that we, we, we deal with behind the scenes is sometimes, you know, a kid has a hype man behind him who's telling him how great he is. Right. But you got to be realistic and you got to be honest. And, and I use this analogy all the time. I actually used to sell real estate. And believe it or not, there's a lot of correlations between getting a kid recruited and selling a house. Okay. So if I'm going to sell my house, I love my house. I've lived in my house. I have special memories in my house. I'm very uh, emotionally connected and invested in my home. I think my house is worth more than probably most people in the world do. No matter how much I think, if I think I have a division one house, the market is going to tell me what my house is worth. Mm-hmm. And if people aren't willing to pay a division one price for my house, then I'm going to have to take what, what, what the, the, the world is telling me my house is worth. And, you know, sometimes in that business, you have people that are stubborn that, you know, insist, no, I, I you know, I, my, my house is worth X amount of dollars. And those are the houses that don't sell. Right. So making a kid understand, look, we reproject you as potentially a division one kid, division two kid. We're going to work as hard as we can to be that. But ultimately the coaches, the market is going to tell us where, where we can play football. And once you get the kid to understand that, then it happens organically. Usually Mm -hmm. Um, I tell you, I've had cases where kids have bet on themselves and won. And those are some of the best stories where they've said, you know what, coach, I believe I'm a division one player. I'm going to do what I have to do. If I have to do a PG year, whatever it is I have to do, um, to make it and they and they have okay I, I have a couple stories like that but usually more times than not you know getting the kid to understand that look you can want it you know I, I, I could want to be 
an NFL quarterback. But if that's if that's not what's you know the the the, the, the demand isn't out there for me to do that, then it's not going to happen. Right. So, you know, just it, trying to get them to be realistic. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think telling the kid, listen, like, okay, you want to walk onto this FBS team. You could do everything right and then some for the next three years, go to JUCO, do a PG year, whatever. And there's a possibility that you still might fall short. Like there's just no way you can ever totally eliminate chance from a marketplace. And I think once the kids kind of understand that all you're doing is you're just doing things to put them in a more marketable position, but you, but you can't guarantee but you'll never be able to guarantee like an offer, but it's always the hype guys. It's always the guys who are trying to promote their camps that are going to say, I think uh, coach Edsel at UConn calls them street agents. You know, some Joe Schmo on Twitter says, Hey, I'll get you a, a big time offer. Come train with me. Come take a picture of me at my camp. I mean, it, it's like that with a lot of positions, but I think you're right to be upfront and be brutally honest. And if the kid doesn't take it well, then he probably wasn't going to be a good cultural fit on your team anyway. Right. Um, right. All right. Last question. In one sentence, what is the one thing that football can teach a young person today in 2020 that they will never learn anywhere else? Wow. That they won't learn anywhere else. I mean, I'll tell you, I keep going back to it. And it's not that they won't learn it anywhere else. They'll learn it other places. But I just think, I think in 2020, what is football teaching kids, young men the most? Mental toughness, Mm -hmm. 100%. I think it goes back to the conversation we had earlier about everyone gets a trophy. I think that um, there's a lot of coddling and enabling going on in today's society. And I think that unfortunately doesn't prepare a lot of our young men for the real world. Uh, the real world could be a very unforgiving place. Um, it's a very results oriented place at the next level of adulthood. And I think adults, we all know that. Um, and I think instead of working vigorously to try to protect and shelter our children from that, we need to let them experience some of that. And that's what football does. Football allows you to get knocked down Football allows you to go through struggle and then have to have the mental toughness and tenacity and heart to be able to rebound from that tough better than ever before. And in 2020, that's, that's what football has to offer um, as much, if not more than any other sport. And I always say this, this is the thing I miss the most about the game that I love about the game that makes the game so pure is that in my eyes, like almost virtually no other sport, You know, this is the one sport that players are so dependent on each other, not just to be successful on a particular play or drive or whatever the case, but players are so reliant on each other just to keep each other safe out there, just to protect one another in in, in the moment. Um, The bond that that creates, the relationships that, that, that creates, the mental toughness, tenacity, focus, Everything that you need to be successful in life, you're doing play after play after play when you're out there on the field. Um, 
you know, that's, that's what football has to offer in 2020. I know you asked for one sentence, as you, as you probably already know. I'm a long-winded guy. I can't do one sentences. No, but no, that's fine. It, it all comes back to mental toughness. It all comes back to mental toughness. That's at the core of it all. Awesome. Uh, one second. Thanks for listening to the Coach Cahill podcast. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to share it on any social media platform or leave a review on Apple iTunes. It really helps a lot with spreading the word. And thanks for your time.